Hey there, true believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that takes complex theological ideas and breaks them down into points of simply understanding. I am your host, Pastor Vinny. And I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you, when life throws a monkey wrench at your head, Jesus is still the Logos, the logic, the reason, the word that builds your faith all the way back to the kingdom of God. Hey there, true believers, and welcome to the second episode of my podcast, Simply Devotion. Christians of all types generally agree, Jesus saves. I understood that from the time I was baptized and I joined the church. But understanding that Jesus saves is not quite the same as Understanding how Jesus saves. Yes, Jesus saves. But today, let's talk process. What do I mean by process? Let's talk how it is that Jesus actually saves. I find that misunderstanding how Jesus saves, what the process of salvation is, creates all kinds of confusion, or as we say in theological terms, heresy. Now, we can get into a deeper conversation in another podcast about what heresy is and isn't. But for the purposes of this particular podcast, when we say heresy, what we mean by heresy is simply a teaching that is not consistent with the biblical teaching we find in a systematic study of Scripture. That is to say, as we study Scripture, what we believe about Scripture needs to actually line up with what Scripture says on any given topic. And when it comes to the process of salvation, particularly in the works of the Apostle Paul, there's a particular process for salvation clearly laid out. Out. Often we might call this, again in theological circles, as Pauline theology. That is to say, theology done by Paul. Pauline theology. Of course, to be clear, when we say the words Pauline theology, we don't mean that Paul invented the theology. Paul makes it very clear. His claim is that Jesus Christ took him to heaven and showed him the theology that he came to know. Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, as you will remember, and Paul claims to be an actual true apostle of Jesus Christ, even though he wasn't one of the disciples and he did not actually um, do ministry with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. And yet in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through about 6, Paul makes the claim that Jesus Christ himself took Paul up to heaven 
and showed him a full understanding of his grace. In perhaps the clearest text on the process of salvation, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And of course, that is from Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. So we can determine that Ephesians, and Paul is the author of Ephesians, teaches that Jesus Christ is the only source of our salvation, and we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul is indicating to us that that grace of Jesus Christ is activated through faith in our lives. In other words, it's a free gift. Grace means to be given a free gift, to to be awarded something without any merit or any work. But it's the faith in that grace that activates it. It's not any work that we could do, because if we could do any work, then we would be able to boast of being able to save ourselves. So God just removed that temptation away from us by making salvation be about grace through faith, not of works. And yet, Paul goes on to say, when we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, then it is God who does a work in us that he has prepared beforehand for us to do. Again, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to read it one more time because it's so key. For you have been saved by grace through faith not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not works, not that anyone can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So in classic Protestantism, I'm a Protestant, and in classic Protestantism, There are basically three stages that, from the time of Martin Luther all the way through to now, Protestants have embraced. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And I want to take a little bit of time in this podcast and break them down and talk about how they relate to this grace through faith not works. And to be clear, because so many people struggle with this, We are never, ever, 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 can I say it again, ever saved by works. Doesn't mean that we won't do good works. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were created to do good works, but we are not saved by good works. In other words, I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, but God could choose to use me to do his work in the world. Again, that would not be my work. There's nothing I could do to add to my 
salvation. And so Protestants, from the time of the Reformation, the split from the Catholic Church in the 1600s, led by Martin Luther, have understood this in a three-stage process, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is a one-time event that occurs in the lost sinner's life. It's when the lost sinner asks God for forgiveness and God imputes the merits of Jesus Christ on the sinner, declaring the sinner to be righteous. Generally, most Christian traditions, especially the evangelical traditions, refer to justification as being saved, the process of being saved. You'll often hear people ask, are you saved? What they mean in theological terms, have you been justified? Have you experienced justification? And so we can find evidence of this in, say, the book of Romans in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or perhaps in Titus chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, Again, it's through faith and it's through grace that we we get eternal life. And just another one here is Romans 3, verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of law. So Romans 3, 28 is making it very clear. Justification does not happen because of your ability to keep the law or by law keeping. It happens by faith faith in Romans 5.1, and it happens by grace in Titus 3.7, and it happens not because of the law in Romans 3.28. Justification, therefore, is the free gift of God's grace, and it cannot be earned by being good or by keeping the law or by any deeds of man. It is a work of God. It is literally God freeing us from the penalty of sin. It occurs only because the lost sinner under the prevalent grace of God, that is the call of the Holy Spirit, senses and comes to understand that they are woefully lost and heading for destruction. And that no matter how hard they try, they cannot change their fate without God intervening. Have you been there? Where it just seems like no matter how much you try to change, you, you can't change. You need God to change you. It is the cry in the darkness for a God of the light to reach down and to save us from our sinful nature. It is an act of faith in believing that God will save us, not because of what we've done, but because Jesus died in our place on the cross. When we are justified, we are surrendered to God in a willful repentance of sin, yet an inability to cure ourselves. It's like the classic hymn says, 
to woefully lean on Jesus' name. The best way I could articulate this, justification is the literal freeing of us from the penalty of sin because of what Jesus has done for us when we could not help ourselves. That is justification. Now, in Protestant theology, after justification comes a process called sanctification. Justification and then sanctification. Sanctification can be best summed up by God's continual freeing of us from the power of sin in our lives. Sin, as a power, seeks to drag us back into the darkness that justification just saved us from. So God, through the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit, seeks to grow us up more every day. We are saved in a moment that is justified. That is, we experience justification in a moment. But we grow for a lifetime. See, sanctification isn't so much about are you saved or are you not saved. Sanctification is more about are you growing in Christ, right? Because in justification, we've already been saved. Now that we've already been saved, we enter into what is called sanctification, the spiritual growth pattern for life. And we can find a good Bible verse to talk about this in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. It says, now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then another great verse we can find actually in Peter. Peter, in agreement with Paul, says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. May the grace and peace be multiplied to you. So in other words, Peter is saying that God foreknew that you would need sanctification and he sent the Holy Spirit to help you grow in obedience, help you grow in grace, and that grace and peace may be multiplied to you. Now, we can even find this concept shockingly in the Old Testament. I say shockingly because some people think the plan of salvation is only in the New Testament, but it is all over the Bible. One of my favorite verses about sanctification is actually in the Old Testament book called Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12, it says this, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Now, sanctification in Protestant traditions, and particularly some Protestant traditions, is called holiness. 
it makes sense, right? So justification in many Protestant traditions is called being saved. And so sanctification in many Protestant traditions is like growing into depths of holiness. Because it's a growth process into holiness, it's not an instantaneous thing. It's key to understand, just as Ezekiel told us in Ezekiel 20, verse 12, that sanctification or this growing into holiness is not something that we do. It's something that the Lord does. Remember, Ezekiel 20, verse 12 says, it's the Lord who sanctifies them. Now, it's a really strong point to make from the Old Testament because if you go to your Old Testament Bible and you open it up and you go to Ezekiel 20, verse 12, you will notice that the word Lord is all in caps. Sometimes you will see the word Lord with just a capital L and then lowercase uh, O-R-D, and in that case, it just means master or, or leader. But when you see the word LORD in all caps, that is your Bible translation trying to tell you that the Hebrew behind that word LORD is not LORD like master or, or, or teacher. It's the personal name of God. It's Yahweh. So what is Ezekiel 20? 12 teaching us that this is a sign that it is the Lord Yahweh, God's personal name, who sanctifies us. Some Christians mistakenly think that justification, that is being saved, is what God does, and that sanctification, being made holy, is what we do. That is heresy. The truth is, both justification and sanctification are both works that God does in you as you yield yourself to him. We are saved by grace through faith, both in the justification and the sanctification process. The Bible promises us that the same God who began a good work in us would bring it to finish. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. You see, justification was the good work he began, and sanctification, the continual growth into deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, he intends to continue all the way until the final step, which is glorification. So glorification becomes the third act of the process of salvation in the born-again believer in Protestant traditions. Again, justification is being saved, and sanctification is growing into depths of holiness with Jesus, but glorification is the final step in the development stage of this process. It is when God transforms our nature forever, taking away the power of sin forever. This happens at the second coming 
when our sinful natures are taken away and the struggle is finally over. We are no longer being declared holy or made holy. We are holy and therefore glorified with God in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 52 says, It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be Again, going back to Philippians, this time chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Oh, it is such great news. Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And that Jesus Christ will return. And he will take our bodies at the second coming and make them like his glorious body. And that is where the term glorification comes from. This idea we can also see from Hebrews, let's say, chapter 9. Yes, chapter 9 and verses 27 and 28 are a good example. It says, Inasmuch as it appointed for men to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for the salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. True believers, are you awaiting the second coming of Christ? I am awaiting the second coming of Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us that we are awaiting the second coming of Christ and that when that second coming of Christ comes, finally, he will appear that second time for salvation without reference to sin. That means he's going to take us to live forever without any sin. And that is why we eagerly await for him. I am so tired of the struggle. Are you? Yes, I have been saved. I know I am saved. I am not afraid to say I am saved. I am justified. I have had justification because of the atonement of Jesus. I know every day the Holy Spirit provokes me to deeper walks to deeper levels with Jesus. This is called sanctification or the process of holiness. But I don't want to just be in the process of holiness. I want 
to be fully perfected in every part of my soul, in every part of my mind, in every part of my body. This is glorification. It is that point of which we are free from the corruption of sin. We are free from the corrupt mortal body, and we are forever transformed in the presence of God to live in his kingdom forever with him. Yes, it is like it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 52. It will happen. It will happen. It will happen in a moment. It will happen in a moment. It will happen in the blink of an eye. It will happen when the last trumpet is blown. It will happen for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed. John Newton, he summed this up for us. John Newton was a famous, I guess you could call him a theologian. He studied God. Uh, He had quite a past. And John Newton wrote some famous, famous Christian hymns. Maybe you've heard of one. Amazing Grace. Yes, of course you've heard of it. We've all heard of the hymn Amazing Grace. Well, in talking about the justification, sanctification, and glorification phases of salvation, John Newton famously said it this way in a quote. And now I'm quoting him. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. Oh, but still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's such a powerful quote. It talks about these stages that we go through. Let me read it one more time. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. God's amazing grace takes us for eternity into glorification that is beyond what a human mind can even understand. Yes, we are saved in a moment. Justification. We grow for a lifetime, sanctification. We give glory to God forever because of the atonement that Jesus completed for us on the cross. That is 
glorification, giving God glory in the kingdom of God forever and forever. When you think about this process, we were lost sinners. We were deserving of death. He was perfect. He was deserving of eternity. Yet, he traded places with us in our death to give us his life. A theologian in a book called Desire of Ages summed it up this way beautifully. Christ was treated as we deserve that we might be treated as he deserves. Let's think about that for a minute. Let's, let's make sure we understand that we didn't deserve any of this. Let's make sure we understand that uh, it's not of works, least we boast. Let us understand it's of grace, undeserved merit, through faith, that Jesus traded places with us when we were undeserving of it. In Desire of Ages, this theologian aptly put the ministry of atonement this way. Again, I quote, Christ was treated as we deserve that we might be treated as he deserves. The theological term for this is substitutionary atonement. Again, one of the goals here in this podcast is to increase our theological understanding and terminologies. And so the process of Jesus substituting or trading places with us or dying for us when he was undeserving but we were deserving of death, that process in most traditions is referred to as substitutionary atonement. In some traditions, it may be called vicarious atonement. But substitutionary atonement and vicarious atonement basically mean the same thing based on which tradition you're from. It means that Jesus died in your place when he was undeserving of death, but deserving of life, and you were deserving of death, but he gave you life. It is the idea that his perfect life, death, and resurrection replaces our broken, sinful life, needful death, for all eternity when we accept it at justification. When you are saved, you are saved. There's nothing you can add to justification. You can just let the Holy Spirit grow you up in sanctification. You can cooperate with God as he deepens your walk with Jesus Christ all the way until that day of glorification. I have so many favorite Bible verses. It's like I just keep adding to them and calling, you know, this one's my favorite. No, this one's my favorite. But one of my early favorites, if I can put it that way, was 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 21, which brings out this idea of substitutionary atonement or vicarious atonement very, very clearly. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us 
that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So amazing. So good. Jesus had no sin, but he became like he had sin for us. So that we could be like him without sin. He literally declares us the righteousness of God. And that's the point of all three stages of the salvation process as outlined in the Bible. Most predominantly and clear in the Pauline epistles or in Paul's work. But as we saw also in Peter and also in the Old Testament in Ezekiel. And we could go to every corner in every book of the Bible and find this process spoken of. It's just that Paul makes it very clear and easy for us to understand. And so it was when the Protestant Reformation was starting in the 15th century, the monk Martin Luther in struggling to understand these things, came to see these things most clearly in the works of the Apostle Paul as he was studying the Pauline epistles because he was actually teaching them. And so the Protestant tradition picks up these three stages most often out of Paul's writings, but they are biblical teachings that are found throughout the whole Bible. These three stages, as outlined in the Bible, is all about God making us who he needs to make us because of the atonement of Jesus. God is making us who accept this atonement of Jesus to be restored to the very glory, to the very righteousness of God, from which mankind will forever continue to embrace and grow in throughout eternity, but no longer plagued with the curse of sin from the fall. Again, John Newton, not only shared with us that great quote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am not what I am. He also gave us another great quote from that great hymn, amazing grace. He says about this glorification, about this glorification that happens in a twinkle of an eye at the second coming. He says this, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we know less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Since the fall of man in the garden, every generation has loathed their sinful condition. We have done all kinds of 
crazy things to try to make up for the spiritual deficits that we just know are inside of us. All the way back in the garden, we recall Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves up with fig leaves. Like, it's pretty ridiculous when you think about it. I don't know if you've seen a fig tree. I have. Those leaves aren't that big. You're not going to cover much with them. But isn't that what sin does to us? Sin conflates our pride and messes with our mind. And this thing, guilt, which is meant to make us cry out in the darkness to a God of light, this thing, guilt, instead creates in us shame. And shame creates in us the sense that there's got to be something we can do, some work we can do, some effort we can do to make it better. And we struggle and we struggle and we crawl and we strive and we make it worse. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot save yourself. Moreover, not only can you not do it, you don't need to. Jesus did it for you. Sometimes I feel unworthy. Sometimes I feel broken. Sometimes I realize I am broken, but I must remember, broken or not, I am justified in God's eyes. And he is in the process of putting all the Humpty Dumpty pieces of me back together again in the process called sanctification. And the day will come when every piece will fit, not because I put it back, but because he comes in his perfect being and changes me at that last trumpet and takes away my corrupt nature and gives me his glorified nature. Again, I turn to the Apostle Paul, who clearly says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 50 through 55. Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be rise incorruptible. We shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, 
And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? End quote. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus and his merits, when we put our trust in Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, his atonement, substitutionary atonement, as expressed through justification, sanctification, and glorification in the Christian life. We have no fear of death. We have no fear of the grave. Jesus has overcome. It is by Jesus and Jesus alone that all processes of salvation work. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You can find an abbreviated blog version of this podcast on my website, simplyvinny.com. It will be entitled, Jesus Saves 101. There you will find any footnotes to quotes I have made. Until then, remember, Jesus and Jesus alone saves. You have been listening to a podcast by Pastor Vinnie McIsaac from simplyvinnie.com. Stop by our website, check out our blogs, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of jazzy promotional stuff. But most important, let's keep growing together in Jesus Christ all the more as we see the day of his return approaching. See you at the next podcast. God bless.